and welcome to the Company Watch On The Spot podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. And today we're also delighted to be joined by Marion Burden. Um, Marion, welcome to Company Watch On The Spot. Marion, thank you very much. Marion is a business expert um, for Schumann International Limited, which is the UK subsidiary of the German Schumann Group. Um, Schumann, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know, develop credit risk management software for corporates and financial institutions. Um, before joining Schumann in January this year, Marion was for over 15 years working as a credit analyst and credit risk underwriter in the credit insurance industry. Um, and for Schumann, Marion's involved in building the UK and international business, um, and also very much involved in product development. So we are looking forward to a lively um, discussion about, about credit risk and automation. And, um, and and I think Marion and Nick will certainly be, be in, bring interesting views to that. So we're recording today's episode in the morning of Monday, the 25th of July. Today's main topic, as I mentioned, is going to be the role of automation in financial risk um, analysis. And we're particularly looking at questions that need to be asked in the era of economic volatility. Before we dive into that, Nick, I think it's worth doing a very quick roundup of the um, <laughs> of the economic news this week. Um, so you've got some numbers for us that I don't think well, are particularly pretty. Um, I do. And uh, as you say, not pretty. So this is the speed dating version of, of all of this. The first numbers we got last week um, were the employment numbers, um, unemployment steady at 3.8%. The headline out of all of this is actually not the unemployment, but the rate of pay, where you've got um, regular pay, excluding bonuses going up by 4.3% and including bonuses by 6.2%, which means that pay is going backwards in terms of uh, spending uh, power. And also there's presumably that, that skew, the private sector, public sector, very yep. big differences again. I have the numbers, since you ask. Um, public sector regular pay went up by 1.5%, private sector by 7.2%. And in some sectors um, where there's a lot of competitive bidding for labour, such as construction, it's over 8% on, wow. uh, on there. So th the answer is unemployment, good, rate of pay, bad. And it's bad in two respects. Firstly, because pay is going down in real terms, but also it's going up in terms of driving inflation. And we'll come on to that. So let me just segue straight through to inflation. CPI um, measure 9.4%, another 40-year record up from 9.1% in May. Um, largest factor was the rise in cost of motor fuels, 43%. But uh, food, 9.8%, restaurants, 8.6%, clothing and footwear, 6%. But if you look at the breakdown, virtually every single spending category went up. So it's not just... It's not the isolated. It's it's absolutely um, uh, not, not at all. And what is sort of worrying about this whole business about is inflation embedded or is it a blip, is that services inflation across the, the, all those sectors was up 5.2%. Unless I'm much mistaken, on the whole, we don't import services which means that's being driven not by Ukraine and not by China, but by wages. And so that's getting embedded and it's got a long way to, to go. So that's inflation, as I say, we're speed dating today um, and, and not a pretty sight and heading, according to the Bank of England, for something like 12%, 11.9%. 
yeah. which is and this is um, higher this 9.4 is also higher i think the the general expectation had been 9.3 yeah. so again we're not talking huge amounts but again that that kind of direction of travel that the what's coming out is higher than than expectations well it, well, it, well it means the bank and the markets are, are behind the curve yeah. Yeah. as as the bank has been consistently right through and one last number from last week uh, came out from the ONS on the 21st of July, government borrowing figures, second highest on record in June 22, um, 22.9 billion. Um, central government expenditure up 9 billion, um, caused by 10.3 billion extra of debt um, servicing costs, which mm-hmm. were, um, as you pointed out, um, very aberrational, but a mere 19.4 billion pounds for a month. Let Which is lower, lower than continue. OBR, low, lower than the 19.7 that OBR <laughs> forecast. But even so, you know, we are and, and this should drop. This is not a kind of a, a kind of monthly figure that will that will continue to roll. But even so, those are starting to be big numbers. And as we know, they're tied to inflation. And if they're not tied to inflation, they're tied to the interest rate. So, you know, either way, it's, yeah. it's going one way. So those are the numbers. Great. Thank you so much um, for that, Nick. Now, on to automation. And this is really interesting. I, I, this is such a fascinating subject. And Marion, thank you so, so much for um, agreeing to, to join us. I wonder if you could start um, by just giving us a little bit of a background on what Schumann um, do and, and your kind of role in the, the automation of, of credit industry analytics. Yes, of course. Thank you very much for having me today. Um, Schumann is a German group uh, founded uh, 25 years ago, um, and it's always been involved in developing credit risk management software solutions. Um, so for companies across the board, as you mentioned before, not just the corporates, but also financial institutions, leasing companies, factoring businesses and credit insurance and the surety industry as well. So obviously they have a lot, they're very different animals, but they have a lot in common when it comes to credit risk management, you know, analyzing your counterparties, processing uh, data, um, accounts, payments, invoices. Uh, You know, you need to set limits, track your exposure, manage your exposure. So in the base, uh, there are a lot of similarities between these industries. So the software um, can deal with all that. Um, it's really a software platform. We're not underwriters, analysts as such, uh, but the, the Schumann platform is open to um, to link to all your other systems, bring information together. So really that the aim is to work on the one screen and not have all these windows open with accounts, uh, you know, agency reports and just trying to go between and doing things on email, attaching them. It's, it's trying to get... Um, um, your credit risk management in one place. Um, Schumann has been working with clients outside the UK for a long time. Uh, first London client was about 10 years ago, but we have an office now since January in London. So to be closer to the uh, the London market, the financial institutions, uh, the credit insurers, surety providers to service them more and also obviously keep a keep our ears open on trends and what people um, are looking for, what they want. Um, automation of credit decisions. Yeah, it's always been a key topic. Um, well, we have clients various sizes, so for some it's, it's easier than for others. Obviously, we see in Lloyd's um, people for whom five million is a, is a small limit when, you know, if you're in the corporate space, you're looking at much different credit limits and in invoice sizes. So that that definitely has an impact. Um, 
And what we try to do is, yeah, bring together that information and look at, you know, what's your credit policy? What are your underwriting guidelines? And see if we can um, get the information out of your own systems, external systems. And then uh, with that expertise, um, get to a decision. But it's for, it's for our clients to set the level, set the decision to say, you know, for this rating and this size company, we want to do no overduce. We want to do limit X. So we don't we don't tell people how to set it. We just give them the options to um, to use the data they have coming in uh, to make the make the decisions. And are you finding, because this is such a, an interesting topic, isn't it, automation and this kind of, this, we were talking earlier, this, you know, I think we are probably all of the the generation that wants to look at some, something ourselves and, and to really kind of get under the skin. And yet, you know, I think you said you're seeing uh, as a younger generation of, of, um, of underwriters are starting to, to kind of join the workforce. Actually, there's a very different um, approach and the idea of doing things on a manual review or Excel spreadsheets is really anathema and, and looking to this kind of automation and things being joined up. Up, um, is much more the way um, the way things are going. But then, what does that mean in in times of economic volatility? You know, are we are you starting to see people kind of pulling back and, and doing much more manual reviews, or you know, what what's the what's the trend are you seeing? Yeah, definitely coming back to your earlier point. For me, as a credit analyst, you know, when there was the first talk of automating some decisions, that's obviously a little bit of a threat to your job because, like, oh no, I do this manually, and there's so many things I look at, and I need to look at it myself. And um, you know, it's not. I've always been told it's not a tick box exercise, so I need to, you know, it can't be taken over. But um, uh, definitely seeing. From a business point of view, um, if you want to grow um, and deal with more risks, higher risks, it's very important that your analysts spend the time on the risks that matter the most. Um, In a lot of places, obviously, you also don't have to get everything right. You can afford maybe a non-payment here or there, but it's about using your people for the the risks that have red flags on them or the really high accumulations that, you know, even if it's a good risk, you might want to dig a bit deeper because if that would go wrong, you'd have that catastrophic event that's really going to uh, to hurt, of course. Um, so it's a bit of a, a process, I think, in many companies, letting go and um, seeing what the system can do for them. It is becoming increasingly important we don't see a drop off in demand for automation. Um, I think it also we can definitely link it to the economic climate now. First of all, finding staff is hard in every industry. Um, so it's definitely even if you'd wanted to just throwing people at and uh, doing more manual uh, analysis, uh, that's not going to work. Um, margins are tight everywhere. So you need to think about so do I want to use staff or is there a different way I can leverage my systems and my technology? Um, and then the younger generation now coming into the workforce, um, they have different expectations. Clearly, they have grown up with smartphones, internet, computers, etc. They haven't seen anything else. And they have high expectations of systems as well, that it steers them in the right direction or filters out. You know, it has to be intuitive, quick. They don't want to do um, the lists of spreadsheets and manual checks and they're looking for something 
that's much more driven by the technology and have to probably have that trust a bit more um, as well than um, uh, the slightly older generation. So that tension's definitely there. Um, where it's a bit more difficult, of course, with automation is we live in very unpredictable times. Um, we've seen a number of events in recent years none of us have ever seen before. You know, pandemic, war in Europe, inflation uh, near a 40-year high. So, um, yeah, I think that there's a. It's important to be careful, and to be flexible. Uh, keep looking at the data, the systems, uh, the outcomes. Um, and I think that will be important as well, because obviously you have to justify to your management and your board and your shareholders what you're doing. You know, you're switching the computer on for some really big decisions, um, potentially, so that you um, yeah keep. It's important to keep control, keep looking at data and any availability you have and be flexible. Just don't switch it on and walk, switch on automation and walk away. Although I don't think people are doing it. It's finding that balance on where you want the analyst to dig a bit deeper, do a bit of forecasting, um, you know, speak to the counterparty, et cetera. So it's it's really about using their skills and time in the right, in the right way. I, I suppose there's an interesting point, isn't there? I mean, as 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 automation develops, you 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 run the risk. It's interesting you say talking to the counterparty. Um, you you may, of course, I guess, eventually run into a situation where your automated system is talking to another automated system at the other end, and and so you get this um, sort of arbitrage between um, being able to, you know, you want to have some human in, involvement, but your counterparty may not be actually capable of giving you that so you know there's there's more than one aspect to automation it's not just your own it's it's other people's and of course you know where the data is coming from um automated systems elsewhere um you know do you trust it yes definitely and and for me as an analyst if you know the other side doesn't pick up the phone or my response is automated i would trust it a bit uh definitely trust it a bit less yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And that point about um, automation, I, I suppose, though, in a way, you know, one of the things, Marion, that you've talked about is having trust in the the data as well, and you know, this this idea of having two automated systems. In a way, if those are working well, actually, that that could give you more comfort in the data because the data has to be so much more pure in a way and, and properly matched yeah. if your if your systems are talking to each other. Whereas when you're in the position of of collecting lots of data, which we know lots of lots of companies do, but it's on a kind of manual process way because it's collected because you know they know somebody will be looking at a, a PDF report or an email or something. Actually extracting data in a way that can be fed through an, an automation process from that kind of collection mechanism is very difficult. So so moving towards data that is collected in a kind of systematic um, and very kind of machine friendly. So the thing we always talk about, or I always talk about is company registration numbers in the UK or other, you know, unique identifiers, depending on, you know, which which um, region you're in, is the absolute kind of having that unique key that you can link data sets up to is, is absolutely crucial. And as, as more automation takes off, that that should be become more embedded um, in those, those systems. But Again, I'm really interested in your um, in your take because, you, as I know, you, you don't um, provide the data yourself, and I know that we we kind of come into your systems on on API basis. And are you finding that that is one of the the kind of major parts of the the operation is really kind of understanding the 
the data, even though you're not actually providing it. I guess that's one of the big things your clients are looking at is what is the data, what's the limitations and so on. Yeah, and our clients are closest to the fire, obviously, in that respect. And um, But it's interesting for us because we see it obviously across the board, across uh, industries. And um, yeah, I think there's a bigger realization as well that uh, in terms of data, you know, are we capturing everything? Are we using it? Um, probably we're using the, t- I'd say we're using the tip of the iceberg. And that's also because we have until recently, you know, our processes were probably quite manual, um, bringing another risk. Obviously, they're a bit more prone to mistake, but now we capture them. I think we see clients as well looking at projects like, what am I missing? What am I using? Is there anything more I can do with um with the data I'm getting. I'm getting so much from my own transactions and inventory systems and my credit insurer and, you know, my brokering credit insurance sees sees so much. And um, I think we we are in a point now we can pull it together, but it's still a bit the question mark, you know, what are we we doing with it? Um, Can we use it to become a bit more forward looking um, as well? But that's... um, yeah, they're still, everyone's working on it, but I don't think we have very concrete solutions there yet. That's interesting. So the, um, the, that, that flexibility, I suppose, is it the case that with, with, with some of these projects, it's, it's kind of taking small chunks and trying to, to kind of iterate, taking, taking little sections where you might be able to pull some, some data set together and see how that works. And then building on from that, is that, is that the kind of approach that you'd, you tend to take? Yeah, completely. Um, I think what you always want to avoid is the very, very large IT projects that uh, where you want to put too much into one release or one change or you want to completely in one go get rid of a legacy system. It's not the way to do it. It, you know, we all know it takes too long. Um, it's it's too risky. So Truman, we really look at um, you know, we start with a base with a bit of a minimum. And we then put increments on in very short cycles. Um, the downside maybe for the user is that, you know, your first product doesn't do everything. But the upside is really you you learn through trial and error, through use. And you see that the use of the system becomes better if the user is, um, you know, not given something they don't, <laughs> that's huge and they've never seen before. It's about building on on the experience you have. And I think you need to do that with automation. And that's what we see as well. Most companies start with relatively small amounts, relatively restrictive uh, parameters. So only letting through the the best, the best of the best uh, credit risks. And um, as you then feedback other companies and you still approve 95% of them, I think that gives a lot more confidence to um to build up from there so i think it's definitely the way to to do it um just in it in general and maybe even how you do every process you know constantly keep making small changes don't let it don't wait until um it's too late and especially in the world now we've seen so many shocks and we've seen so many uh you know if you're in a finance department you've had to deal with so much in the last couple of years from the basic you know everyone working uh, from home to other drivers for technology, technological change, you know, we're 
um, I think we're all learning what the best way to do it is. And I think that's, you know, being open to to change and progress and constantly looking at what you're what you're doing, what works best. Um, in terms of our software, we try to make it configurable. So if you want to make a change to what you're doing, uh, big shock happens. You want to reduce your risk appetite. You can do it yourself. You don't have to come to us and say, can you tweak so-and-so in my system? No, it's the settings are yours to um, yours to tweak and yours to uh, to use as, you, as we go through uh, different um, economic cycles. I, I think there's also a behavioural um, uh, point here because, you know, I'm very much with what you were saying about, you know, um, d- implementing change chunk by chunk and, you know, the smaller, you know, way, the better, because you've got to recognise that you know, we've, we've touched on the generational issues going on here, but you've got to recognise that the people who are, who are likely to influence how change is implemented in a in a company are going to be older are going to be uh, more cautious less trusting and i can tell you firsthand having been you know ceo and cfo of, of fairly big companies um, the the one thing that a board hates most of all is massive wholesale change you know because you don't trust it. You can't get your head around it. And, uh, you know, there's a tendency to reject that sort of approach, which is why you're absolutely right. Don't throw all the balls in the air at the same time. Absolutely. And being able to do these these smaller tests and improve and prove value. I mean, this is how I, I guess we we operate here at Company Watch as well. You 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 kind of do do small changes, mm. iterate, prove value, and then um and then make bigger things. It's so much easier actually, and it's 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 nice to be able to have that kind of constant um that that constant kind of iteration and and be able to look at, at new new things. Um, I'm kind of conscious of of time. We never. <laughs> Have enough, time. have enough time to do these things, Marion. Any any kind of final thought, and Nick as well. I'd like you know any kind of final thoughts on um, on automation, the, the, the things to be looking out for, kind of pitfalls that we um, that we might be wanting to avoid, and, and also those. You know, I think we've we've talked quite a lot about the, um, the the big upsides, but any kind of final thoughts that you'd like to to share? Yeah, I think in terms of credit risk, and although I, I'm not a credit analyst myself, I think the big challenge at the moment is you know combining. The, the data, you, you have your traditional accounts, credit reports based on what's happened in 2021, uh, boom year post-COVID, uh, you know, everything was, was going well and we were spending again and inflation worries were there. But I think we were talking about who might reach three or four percent um, to where we are now. Um, you know, we, we know very high inflation all across um, across the world, uh, talk of stagflation, even you know these very negative, it's um, very negative scenarios. Is it, how do you combine that? How do I get that into my analysis? How do I understand which companies have the buffer or are doing the right things at the moment to preserve their margins and their cash? That seems to me something that's very difficult to get out of the. Um, out of the technology and then yeah it's that uncertain time we've we've been in we've had so many shocks what will be the next what will be the next thing and can we you know are we agile enough to to deal with it so uh yes as i said before definitely a place for automation still but um really something to to keep a very close eye uh economically keep a very close eye on what's happening 
and how companies are responding um, and dealing with the situation. I think I have a very simple message, which is much as my generation um, is scared by automation and and will find it difficult to to accept um, and will always reach for the human input um, as a last resort, as a default. The answer is that we need to trust automation, but we need to do one thing as well as trusting it, which is not to get worried when it lets us down. And when a mistake occurs because of automation, to dig into it, understand it, and not reject the whole principle just because it leads you into a bad loss. I think that's a very wise word indeed, Nick. Actually, I think you're right. I think there will be in any anything that we do, things fail, but we need to learn and, and build on that because as you as as you both said, automation is the is the the way forward with with the the problems of of recruiting staff and actually the expectations of the staff that we will be recruiting. We need to embed this this technology and just constantly um make sure that we're adapting and learning with it. So thank you very much. Really interesting discussion. Nick, as always, Marion, great to have you. I hope we will see you again um, soon. Maybe we'll come back once the um, once the accounts are coming through and we're starting to see what, what is going on in the world um, towards the end of the year. So thanks. Thanks to you both. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.